Hello and welcome. I'm Andrew Vief, and this is Rebel History. The year is 1853. The place, a quaint, coastal, pioneer settlement named Seattle. A faint, salty breeze blew across the calm waters of the sound. Faded neon pinks and blues of the setting sun reflected in the small waves lapping the side of the wooden canoe. Colossal fir trees standing sentinel on the shore and hills behind, the light fading quickly amongst their thick branches. Doc, as everybody called him, looked over his shoulder at his companion. A contented grin adorning his aging face, Chief Seattle looked at home paddling the canoe. Dressed in a white cotton shirt, his broad chest and strong hands belied his age. Turning his gaze to the forest, Doc was reminded of when the chief told him about Stitichi where the Duwamish tribe placed their dead in boxes, tied high up in the branches of the forest, a part of the trees. It was suddenly brisk as the sun dropped behind the jagged peaks of the Olympic mountain range. Across the water, sparse lanterns flicked on in the deepening dusk. Doc took a swig of the whiskey he'd brought, a nightcap for a perfect day. David Doc Maynard was impressed by the tribe's fishing grounds, a bounty of salmon like he'd never seen before. The two unlikely friends had agreed to a business arrangement, planning on salting 1,000 barrels full of the large pinky orange fish for sale in distant cities. Doc, like his companion, was a tall, broad man. His square jaw and sharp features were complemented by intelligent blue eyes. He'd earned his nickname in medical school, which he'd begun at the ripe age of just 17. Now in his late 40s, a newcomer in the small coastal pioneer town of Seattle, Doc was a man of many talents. He owned the general store situated on a slice of waterfront property next to Henry Yesler's brand new sawmill. He studied for the bar and became Seattle's only lawyer at the time, partnered for the first brothel, <laughs> and helped establish the first brewery, much to the chagrin of his teetotaling neighbors. Catering to the region's sailors and lumbermen, Felker House and its upstairs bordello were headed by the infamous Mary Ann Boyer 
known as Madame Damnable for her legendary profanity. Years of traveling the world by sea made her equally dangerous in English, French, Spanish, Chinese, Portuguese, and German. An ambitious man of keen intelligence, Doc became an integral part of the budding Seattle community, having a hand in nearly everything. After he refused to orient the streets on his property in the same direction as everyone else, his neighbor, Arthur Denny, opined. Maynard was king of all he surveyed, and some of what Boren and I surveyed as well. The resulting mashup of misaligned roadways is still seen today in the city's Pioneer Square neighborhood. Perhaps influencing the burgeoning city more than any other, Seattle is imbued with Doc's friendly, rebellious character. Known to possess a penchant for whiskey, occasionally he'd take a swig too many while working the store. Boots kicked up on a barrel, he'd give away his merchandise for free, much to the delight of his fellow pioneers. Located on the shores of Elliott Bay, Seattle was quickly becoming a popular destination for logging men, sailors, and settlers. A rugged and remote paradise, much of Washington was covered in ancient old-growth forest. Massive trees, soaring up to 400 feet tall and dating back as far as 2,000 years old. Mellom bakkar og berg ut med havet, hever nordmannen fenget sin heim. Men når vår sol i bakkene blengte, fekk han hug til sin heimlege strand. Immigrants from Nordic countries found the landscape of saltwater fjords, farmland, forest, and mountains familiar to their northern homelands. Scandinavians came to Washington State in large numbers, working as loggers, fishermen, farmers, and boat builders. These original settlers were of hardy, industrious stock and weathered the rugged existence of early Pacific Northwest life. Seattle developed a reputation of rough and tumble lawlessness as these early immigrants enjoyed playing just as hard as they worked. With the end of the Civil War in 1865, the United States saw an influx of German immigrants. Among them was Andrew Hemrich, son of a German brewmaster, who had brought his expertise to America. Learning the old world techniques at his father's brewery in Wisconsin, Andrew set off west to make a name for himself. After briefly owning a brewery in Montana, he settled in Seattle and created the Bayview Brewing Company, beginning with a steam beer before exploring a new lager style. 
Steam was a nickname for beer brewed on the west coast of America under primitive conditions and without ice. While the origin of the name remains shrouded in mystery, it likely relates to the original practice of fermenting the beer on San Francisco rooftops in a cool climate. In lieu of ice, the foggy night air naturally cooled the fermenting beer, creating steam off the warm open pans. Hemrich called it Rainier Beer after the 14,000-foot Mount Rainier visible from the city. It was an instant hit, and business was booming, with Hemrich selling over 2,600 barrels his first year, and in the years to come, growing to the sixth largest brewery in the world. In the late 19th century, most saloons were owned by the beer companies. Beer technology was still rudimentary, and so the product had a relatively short shelf life, meaning transportation was difficult. These early saloons were a place for local men to socialize, conduct business or politics, and munch on a smattering of food, often including cold cuts, pretzels, and smoked fish. They were generally regarded as respectable establishments, even offering voting and banking services. As Seattle grew, these local watering holes became an integral part of the culture. The afternoon of June 6, 1889, five men were working in the basement of a downtown cabinet shop. Claremont and Company, located on the corner of Madison and Front Street, which is today First Avenue. One of the employees, by the name of Kittermaster, describes the fateful events that transpired. There were five of us in the room. Mr. Kirchner, Charlie Stoll, an old Swede named Berg, a young Swede from New York, and myself. At the first alarm, I was about 40 feet away with my back toward the stove. As I turned to look back, a glue pot on a stove was blazing right up, and I saw Berg seize a pail of water to throw upon it. I shouted for him not to do it, but the ignorant Swede seemed excited and danced about with the pail before he dashed the water. I rushed to a corner to get my coat, intending to throw it over the burning glue and keep the air out. But the instant water touched the material, everything in the shop was in a blaze, and the smoke was so dense that I had difficulty getting out. The Swede who threw that pail of water was John Back, who was described as a short, thick-set blonde of mediocre intelligence. With that one act, he began a fire that would soon engulf 29 city blocks, essentially destroying most of Seattle. Incredibly, no one was killed by the blaze, but an estimated one million rats 
were claimed by the flames. Much of the city lay in ruins, but civic leaders saw an opportunity and rallied together to rebuild. Outdated wood buildings were replaced with sturdy brick ones, and the city streets were raised a full story, about 10 feet, using retaining walls, in order to prevent the mucky conditions that were prevalent before the fire. The rebuilding of the city ended up creating a huge demand for workers, and Seattle's population swelled from 25,000 to 43,000 in just one year. Washington officially became a state on November 11, 1889, just six months after the Great Seattle Fire. From its beginning as a wild and remote territory, the state was quickly becoming a rising star on the national stage. Three years later, beer technology took a huge step forward. The invention of the now universal crown bottle caps by William Painter in 1892 revolutionized beverage storage by allowing beers to be stored individually and keep for longer. This along with advances in fermentation, meant that beer could travel much further. Refrigerated transportation equipment arrived out west by way of the country's transcontinental railroad system. All of this meant that saloons could start popping up among rural communities, away from breweries in the denser urban areas. The proliferation of saloons brought with it negative consequences, including a dramatic increase in domestic abuse and divorce. Residents of these small rural communities, especially women, were beginning to rally against the perceived dangers of alcohol. Next episode on Rebel History. Seattle newspaper ads from 1897 warned, drink a little too much and you run the risk of being Shanghai'd, the Klondike Gold Rush, and Seattle's journey into rough and tumble lawlessness. Rebel History is written, narrated, and produced by Andrew Feith. Rebel History, shining light on the shadows of history and the rebels who dwell there.